Welcome back to the show, everybody. Long time no talk. If you want to find me on Instagram, you can do so by the Curiosity Chamber. And that's pretty much all the social media I have. Um, if I were to give you a million dollars, how would you spend it? Well, let's just jump right into it. Let's just get right into it. If I gave you a million dollars, what would you do with it? Buy a couple cars, buy a house, buy a girlfriend, buy a wife. Yeah, I would probably do the same thing. So that's why I'm inviting my next guest here, Kerry Lutz. And I've seen a few of his YouTube videos, and he's able to articulate in layman's terms, which is going to be very beneficial for me because when it comes to finances, I'm a dumbass. It's just so complex. There's so many moving parts within our economy, including people lying to us. So hopefully he could set the track straight here. Kerry Lutz is a recovering attorney, a serial entrepreneur. He became semi-retired at the age of 40. He worked in the legal system for decades. A veteran podcaster with over 10 years experience and 7,000 episodes under his belt. Maybe one day I can get there. He has four books, and I'd have to assume he drinks Snapple because he knows so many random facts and quotes and jokes. For those of you that don't get the reference, every time you drink a Snapple, if you look on the bottom of the cap, it's just like some random fact. And after talking to Carrie, it's exactly what we got. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, please welcome Carrie Lutz. Carrie, thanks for coming to the show, man. I appreciate you being here. Uh, it's my pleasure, Jay. And if I can shed a little light on what's going on, then uh, we'll have accomplished something, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the idea here. I appreciate it. Uh, so finances has just a little to do with the economy, huh? Well, uh, yeah, well. Look, there's personal finance, there's government finance, there's corporate finance. It encompasses a lot of different areas. But when it comes to personal finance, to some extent, uh, we're all slaves to the broader economy. Oh, boy. So let me ask you, I guess a good place to start is why did you become so fascinated with finance? Uh, well... I was uh, originally going to be an economics major in college. I went to Pace University, and the problem was that the uh, economics department there were communist, and they were mainly more concerned about unionizing the faculty uh, than they were about teaching us anything useful, oh, God. which they never did. And then I was watching uh, PBS. It was still watchable in those days, and there was a special by... Rose and Milton Friedman called Free to Choose. I watched that and it explained why Hong Kong had one of the highest standards of living in the world 
while they had very few resources other than human capital. And then other countries like in Africa and in Asia and all over uh, South America had tremendous resources and yet couldn't get out of their own way. And it all came down to free markets, allocating capital. And I was hooked from that point on. And from there, I got into Mises, Ludwig von Mises, the Austrian School of Economics. And then I was hooked and I've read, well, I don't have formal training, read hundreds of books about it and have interviewed thousands of people on the topic for the past 11 years. I think I've done 9,000 segments on my show. So did it become like a hobby at a point? It was a hobby, but then it, you know, I kept with it, turned into a career. That's like the best case scenario. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm happy with the way things turn out. You never know uh, what's going to happen in your life. You know, it's, that's um, very true. yeah. Yeah. So, so do you play the stock market? I don't know if that's the terminology. Is that how you say play the stock market? Well, I think it might not be, shall we say socially acceptable uh, to say that that was like, makes it sound like it's gambling, but the way that most people actually so-called invest in the market is basically playing the market. Um, you know, it's a gamble and look, it used to be very systematic and formalized rules for investing in stocks. You invested in bonds and then, um, you invested in stocks to get a higher return. Your price was based on the dividend, uh, discounted dividend model. And, you know, you could value these things. Nowadays, you can't value anything because it's just a big uh, casino. And, you know, value stocks, uh, those stocks that you believe are trading at a discount to the market because they're not growth stocks have not performed well over the past couple of decades. So yeah, it's moved into the realm of being a giant casino. So it seems like it went from a place that wasn't too risky. Like you, you'd kind of have an idea of what your return on investment would be. I'm sure there's still some things you can invest like that today. I don't want to say it wasn't risky back then. Uh, because the knowledge that was available to the average Joe was very restricted in the brokerage houses, the banks. Before there were banks, there were stock brokerage houses, mm-hmm. uh, independent entities that later on were absorbed by the banks. They had a monopoly on the information, and therefore they were able to to really uh, get an advantage, maintain like an advantage. Insider trading? not even insider trading. It's just that, uh, you know, when it's your profession, when you're on the floor of the exchange and you, um, you see all the trades coming and going, the shorts and the longs, uh, before there were options, you had a tremendous advantage. You didn't need to insider trade, although of course it was well known on the street. It took place all the time. That's then interesting. the internet came, democratized all that information. They still have an information advantage, but not quite so much as it used to be. The only way for an individual investor to uh, 
beat the market in the long run was to no Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, well, yeah, but now we're talking real insider trading, you know. Uh, but back then it was like buy for the long term, reinvest your dividends. I mean, there was yeah. a story about a woman. She started buying Coca-Cola, you know, in the 20s, kept buying it, reinvesting her dividends. And when she died, she had a fortune of $38 million in the 70s. All right. And she had built, you know, buildings on campuses, wings, libraries. She'd been spending all along. So is that possible now? Uh, Yes and no. But back then... So the individual always has the advantage on a long-term strategy, but buy and hold doesn't really work at the current prices. Um, so Why is that? Because the prices are so high right now? Yeah, they're very inflated. Uh, yeah. Plus, we've had a long bull market since the crash in 2009. And you know it becomes riskier by the day. Arguably, we're in a bear market now, but the prices haven't fully adjusted. So... When they go down enough, then these value stocks will be worth it and higher dividend yielding stocks may well be a very good place to be. When the economy came to a a grueling halt in 2020 because of COVID, Mm -hmm. I mean, what, what type of implications does that have and for how long? Well, yeah, well... (laughs) You know, we had the worst of all possible worlds there because what's inflation? Well, there's different kinds, but there's monetary inflation that results from too much money going into circulation, chasing not enough goods. And then there's good shortages where the prices go up because there's shortages of those goods. We shut down the global economy so the goods couldn't be produced in adequate numbers. And then we gave out free money to... Everybody out there and his uncle helicopter money. Yeah, so, no kidding. Course, Even people with jobs were getting free money. Yeah. Hey, everybody took advantage of it. And yeah. I told people at the time, you'd be a fool not to take advantage of this opportunity because you're going to pay for it anyway in the form of higher consumer prices. So you might as well just take the money and just figure you're getting paid for the inflation that's yet to come. And of course I was right. And the experts were wrong about transitory inflation. What were the experts saying? What's that? What were the experts saying? Quote, Oh, don't worry about it. You know, uh, it's temporary, you know, don't worry. You know, they just said that they didn't have any admonitions, Jay, against inflation. And then when inflation started to rear its ugly head, they said, Oh, it's transitory. Which, right. you know, I'm a student of markets and history. The last bout of transitory inflation we had in the United States kind of started in the 60s and it lasted through the early 80s. Oh, my God. That was our last bout of transitory inflation. So, you know, the Fed can inflate the economy, but it's very hard to put the inflationary genie back in the bottle or the inflationary toothpaste back in the tube. When they so, use the word transitory, so is it still possible that it's transitory even though it's 30 years because at some point it does end and does go back down? So is well, there kind of, 
hey, life is transitory. You know, the yes, best things exactly. in life are transitory, right? Yes. So, <laughs> yes, it will go down eventually, but it's going to be waves. It's a cycle. Once the inflationary cycle starts, yeah, if you crash the economy and they throw, you know, they keep raising rates and we get up to 10% and two thirds of the factories around the world shut down and nobody has any money because the money supply deflates, guess what? Yeah, then it'll be transitory, but they will have killed inflation at the price of killing the economy. There was a saying in Vietnam, one of the soldiers, after they had destroyed this village, you know, they asked him, why did you do that? He said, we had to kill the village to save it. Oh, jeez. Well, we have to kill the economy to save it, right? Yeah, that doesn't sound good. (laughs) So that's what we're up against. Well, do these, the people, is it the, the Fed that's in charge of this? Well, the Fed, yeah, but it's also the fact we're spending way more money than we bring in in the form of taxes and user fees and all the Where the money come from to go to Ukraine? Yeah, well, you know, but that's like, you know, so they're just printing the money up right. to do it. And the military industrial complex loves it. Loves they get it, to yeah. send their stuff over there. They get to see how it performs against the Russian technology. They get to leak technology to the Russians and then leak the countermeasure, sell the countermeasure to the West. I mean, this is a tailor-made situation for the military industrial complex. Oh, of course. Yes. Yeah. So I want to ask, do do you think that someone has an idea, like a trajectory of what is actually going on? Or is it just like pulling levers and like holding on for dear life and hoping that it, it like sets itself straight? All right. So here's where we get into so-called conspiracy theories. But as we know from the Twitter files, all the conspiracy theories were correct. So on the one hand, we believe that there's these maniacs out there who believe in a great reset and they want to crash the system so they can rebuild it in their own distorted image and not in free markets. And then on the other hand, we think that, uh, hey, the government really does want best for you and you know, they're not being controlled by a bunch of sociopaths. I mean, I'll leave it to uh, which one you choose there. Well, what time in and history like, has the government ever had your back? Hey, well, you know, uh, Ronald Reagan said the 10 scariest words in the English language were, hi, I'm from the government. I'm here to help. <laughs> no shit. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it's corrupt to the core. It's more corrupt now than it's ever been. But it's always yeah. been corrupt. Just go back and read H.L. Mencken at the turn of the beginning of the 20th century, one of the great political satirists of all time, who uh, one of the things he said was, no one ever went broke underestimating the intelligence of the American public. Hmm. Wow. So, and, you know, P.T. Barnum, there's a sucker born every second and two to catch him, right? Oh, my God. You know, the... It's cliche. The list goes on. But yeah, if you read the collective works of uh, H.L. Mencken, A, he's hysterical. It still applies now. I mean, like Will Rogers said, uh, you know, uh, I don't belong to an organized political party. I'm a Democrat. Well, now you could say, now you could say Democrat or Republican. Either way, there's no uh, organized party here. Um, you know, the jokes are universal. Every time uh, 
Congress makes a law, it's a joke. And every time they make a joke, it becomes a law. <laughs> right? Oh my God, man. Yeah, what, and, a, uh, what a weird time Will, to be alive. Yeah, Will Rogers said, uh, invest in inflation. It's the only thing going up. And it's actually a lot of wisdom in that term. Wow. Okay. So if I'm, let, let's see here. If I'm Kerry Lutz, what am I doing with my money to protect myself from what's happening right now? Well, I always think in any time of the economic cycle, it's a great idea to own a portion of physical gold and silver. Uh, you know, I don't know. Everybody's different. I'm not a licensed financial advisor. I can't tell you how much. Five to 10% of your net worth should go in there and just stay in there as an insurance policy. Um, and then you want. You want assets that are going to perform well in an inflationary environment. Everybody already figured out real estate, but assuming they don't destroy the economy and they have to turn around and cut rates, uh, real estate will again take off. Um, real estate, myself, when I saw what they were doing, I was wanted to buy a house, but I uh, really like went into panic mode to buy a house. This was in... Uh, like December of 2020. Panic mode as in FOMO? Yeah, I, not FOMO, but just that I knew this inflation was coming and the best way to defend against it was to own real estate. I didn't really, I needed ah, the okay. house anyway. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I knew that the rents would be skyrocketing. Mm -hmm. So I bought a home and, uh, and you buy it on leveraged money. My rate's uh, somewhere in the low 3% range. When inflation is running, arguably at double digits now, because everybody knows that the government would never tell a lie and understate the inflation rate. So right. let's just say it's 10%. I'm paying 3% on my mortgage, plus getting tax benefits. And um, I'm pretty much making 7% on all that money, both the money that I put in there, because I'm effectively, the money's becoming worth 7% less year in after it's actually becoming 10%, but deduct my cost of money 3%, then it's 7% of making annualized return. And, uh, you know, also it depends what markets you buy the real estate in, but if you can get an asset where somebody like a tenant or a lessee, mm -hmm. whether it's equipment, whatever is going to pay your debt, then it's even better because you leverage up, but that is a risky situation. If you're caught on the wrong end of the cycle and we really do have a situation where real estate crashes, you could be in a lot of trouble, a lot of pain. So qualified risk, don't just bet, bet the mansion that inflation is going to continue onward and upward indefinitely, even though it probably has to. That's where I'm kind of stuck right now because for the last two years, I've been looking to buy some property. So I'm sitting on cash right now, but I, I it looks like you're more of a professional than me, obviously, but from what I'm gathering is that there's going to be a, a homes crash. So Maybe. I'm waiting for them to, for it to crash. And then I want to buy problem. one as low or if the banks like take possession of the houses. Here's the problem with that theory, yeah. uh, and it very well could happen. But the flip side is, we I don't believe that the government will ever allow another foreclosure uh, 
panic to take place where banks uh, start repoing all the homes. Uh, there is a socialist policy in place, and you saw it during the pandemic, uh, that basically debts are forgiven or renegotiated when yeah. everything hits the fan. Okay. And that is my belief as to what is going to happen, why there won't be another foreclosure bust. That doesn't mean prices won't go down, but what it means is that rather than uh, foreclose on tens of millions of homes, you're going to have workouts. And, you know, because there's just no appetite in society to see that many homes get get foreclosed on again. And this is every type of private debt, basically, uh, in states that were formerly very pro-creditor, they're now pro-debtor. Uh, so losses, profits are privatized, losses are socialized, right? And that's kind of what we're seeing now. That's an interesting point. Yeah. Man, because I want to be living by you, Carrie. Like the uh, the gold standard for me would to be have a a house out here in Chicago, and then I would love to own some property in Florida. But then when I'm in Chicago for the summer, I'm renting out my property in Florida, right? Yeah. Well, there are people that do it. I mean, like the my area here, the. the short-term rental market has just gone insane, you know, that like what used to spend, uh, you know, uh, for a year's rental here, it's like two months rental during season now. It's insane. Uh, but it can be done, you know, it depends. Uh, qualify for a mortgage. Make sure that your property will be able to carry the debt service. And if the market goes a little haywire, that you will be able to carry that debt for a period of time and you won't fall behind. Because like I said, you won't see foreclosures, but you will see people doing short sales and you'll see them maybe giving the keys back to the bank or the bank will just tack on the tack on the arrearages till you sell. We're not going to see a mass foreclosure epidemic ever again like we had not because the economy is going to be better. The mortgages made in the past 15 years, definitely better quality. No question about that. Uh, But if there's large scale, widespread unemployment, uh, those mortgages won't look so good. They're only good. I see. People have jobs, but like I said, uh, they won't allow politically, they cannot afford to allow millions of homes to be foreclosed. again. Wow. You'll see it for tax foreclosures. That's where the you don't pay your real estate taxes. Yeah, that's different. Okay, not paying the bank. Who cares about them anyway? They're just wards of the state, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm just. I don't understand how the average American is making payments on all of their bills on top of a home if they own one. Because from my personal standpoint, this is like the last two years have been the best two years financially for Mm -hmm. me. And it's, I'm still not, I'm, com- I'm comfortable, but if something goes wrong, I'll be in trouble. And mm-hmm. from my standpoint, I think I'm making a, a pretty good amount. So the average American, 
I, I like looked up statistics and stuff and I'm above what the average American makes. I just mm-hmm. don't understand how they're making all these payments. And it seems like something eventually has to give. It has to give. We just yeah. can't keep running like this. You can't pay $8 for eggs, the average American. There's just no way in hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, the substitution effect. If you can't afford steak, you get chicken. If you can't afford chicken, you get spam, right? Damn, yeah, eat bugs. That's what they're telling us. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> but point is that, you know, uh, people figure out a way to make do. They go to the Costco instead of Publix or the supermarket. They buy this stuff, you know, they buy interest like in cows being chopped up uh, by private farms you know people do you know you don't just sit around and wait to die right you right. uh you like do something right yeah you got to do something so you might as well do you see like another great depression on the brink here i think it's very possible um, yeah cuz i keep hearing the word recession i'm like Okay, I think are we already in a recession right now? Yeah, of course. Yeah, okay. know, we're in a recession. Admit so... it. They won't yeah. admit it because um, you know, if you actually calculated the uh <clears throat> inflation rate accurately, mm-hmm. uh we would have uh, multiple quarters of negative growth and we'd be in a recession. Yeah, definition. Uh, you know, don't yeah. expect the government to tell you the truth, right? Why would you yeah. think that? That's that's the weird thing. How come they're they're able to just blatantly lie like that? I guess yeah. it's a lie, but the way they word it is is it's a lot of trickery that goes on in the words they use. Yeah. Well, it's for your own good. <laughs> doing it for you. Don't tell me that. Yeah. He tells me that. <laughs> You're just an ingrate, man. That's right. You know when they're trying to help you. <laughs> it's so <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> so did we ever recover from the 2008 financial crisis? It never went back to the same because the Federal Reserve was bailing everything out, bonds, yeah. you name it, you know, insane stuff. So <laughs> and short answer is not really, but there is an appearance of normalcy, which uh, with the powers that be, an appearance could be as good as the real thing. So what do you see as like a doomsday scenario here? Like if everything goes completely wrong. Oh, gee, that's a good Please, question. Yeah, the dystopia um, version. I want to hear it. Yeah, well, I mean, we could wind up uh, a global financial collapse. None of the global financial. Wow. Oh. And we wind up, uh, we wind up uh, trading with the gold and silver and bartering. That's the worst case scenario. I'm not sure that that's going to happen. Um, but uh, you know what? Uh, we got to hope for the best here, right? Yeah. Geez. I'd say so. Bartering. Has there ever been a time when the world economy collapsed? Oh, yeah. It happens repeatedly over the years. It happens now. repeatedly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's okay. been going on. You know, the Great Depression was global. The Great Recession here started out in the U.S. and it became a global thing. But it never got to the point where people were bartering with each other, right? No, no. Well, that kind of collapse. Yeah, that kind of collapse. We've seen countries go through hyperinflation. But, uh, 
you know, in Germany, they went to gold and they, they finally backed the currency by real estate. And that was kind of how they got out of it. But, um, you know, uh, history is replete with examples of financial collapses, but never in a modern interconnected economy where all these countries are, you know, globalist, you know, everybody, you know, if one country goes, important country, they all go. They all uh, swing together or they swing apart, you know? Yeah, speaking of which, uh, what's your thoughts on Klaus Schwab? Uh, he's just another sociopath who thinks that the uh, that the uh, elites know what they're doing, but the mess we're in now, the elites got us there. That's a good point. Yeah, the world economic form, right? You'll own nothing and yeah. be happy. When they say shit like that, it, it gives me the heebie-jeebies. What, what do they mean by that? Well, maybe they mean that you won't really own anything. You'll have NFTs that represent your uh, ownership interest in various assets, but you won't actually own the assets themselves. Somebody That'll has to own the possible. assets, though. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what he means by it. Just that uh, basically, uh, you know, transfer of wealth, what, what little wealth is held by the middle class and the rest of the country uh, will be transferred over to the wealthy, but they'll forgive your debts. So you'll be happy about it. They'll forgive your debts. They might not forgive your student debts. That, that seems like you're enslaved to those. That has made you a debt slave. And, it's, uh, it's the creepiest thing. That's the only <laughs> thing that doesn't get forgiven if you file for bankruptcy. Like you have to pay that until your entire generation of family yeah. is dead. Yeah, it's life. It's lifetime. However, yeah. you know, you, you got to understand. Like there are other debts that when you go into bankruptcy, you can't discharge as easily. Um, some of them you can't discharge at all. Like a judgment for uh, libel or slander, intentional tort can't do anything about that or fraud, you know, criminal activity. But uh, I actually was kind of involved during the whole thing. What happened was they wanted to, they wanted to <clears throat> basically, um, this was in the uh, early 2000s. They said, there's too many people taking advantage of the bankruptcy system. They're not paying anything back. They're just gaming the system. We got to stop it. Got to stop it. So what happens? Um, Biden gets them to pass this bill. And originally, government uh, student loans were not dischargeable in bankruptcy, but private ones made by banks, actually by the bank, were dischargeable. But thanks to uh, our president, he fixed it up so that not even the private loans are dischargeable anymore. And this is just a thousand percent wrong. Uh, there's nothing special about student loans that should make them exempt from bankruptcy. You know, just who's it. making the most money off the student loans? Uh, well, uh, you know, go to the corner and see too big to fail national bank. And uh, they're there, you know, making a bank on this. Yeah. Yeah, there's just so much issue I have with that. The it's the backroom deals that really piss piss me off. You yeah. know, I, hey, 
it's it's just evil and corrupt. No, nope, yeah. I didn't even see this. This was the whole point of the bankruptcy, bankruptcy reform act in the early 2000s sure. was to make these student loans non-dischargeable to the banks. And then they could, uh, you know, the, there's two types of student loans, government backed, you make it as a bank and then the uh, government, you default, the government pays you. And those were not dischargeable, but then there were the ones that the banks made to like consolidate all your student loans. And those are private loans that were not guaranteed by the government. They were dischargeable in bankruptcy. Now they're not. It's a multi tens of billions of dollars uh, out there. You know, the biggest asset on the government's balance sheet is student loans. Oh, man. That's what a scam it is. Yeah, that's not what you want to hear. I was going to ask if there's any way. I know they won't, but does the government have the power to undo that doing? Well, they've tried doing it a little bit, but it's going to require a new law to be passed. And oh my god, uh, who runs the government? You know, not the little guys. No, no. Right? Yeah. Have you read the um, the book, the creature of what's it called, Jackal Island? Sure. Sure, Yeah. I know. uh, Yeah. Is that when everything started being set into motion? The corruption? Well, I think they were trying to do it for quite a while, but that's where they actually pulled it off. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, it really, uh, that's the same time they passed that, uh, we got our income tax, right? That's right. That's 1933 or 1913? Yeah, 1913. Yeah. Yeah, wild. Did yeah. you hear this the story about um like the Titanic, like that conspiracy? Well, and uh, uh and what's the... is, a bunch of the people on there were financiers <laughs> yeah. who were opposed to yeah, like look, I mean, hey, you can come up with a conspiracy theory about anything. I just tend to think that uh that the thing hit an iceberg and sank, you know? That's what I tend to believe. Uh, now, why? I just, uh, you know, that's a bridge too far. But I'm not to say it couldn't be possible either. Uh, if you want to read a book about how the country really works and how it worked and what happened and how things got where they are, read Gangsters of Capitalism by this guy Schwartz. And it's about this General Smedley Butler. He was the, became famous for saying war was a racket, and it follows his exploits. He was involved in every major U.S. military intervention from the 20s through World War I, and there were a lot more from the late 1800s. Panama Canal, insurrection, Haiti invasion, Mexico, Nicaragua to rescue the U.S. fruit company. Uh, that's what they called gun gunboat diplomacy. Ah, and, okay. You know, I knew all these things happened. The Philippines, taking the Philippines, invading Cuba, uh, all of this. I knew all this happened, but I never realized how much of it happened so quickly. You know, the age of American imperialism. And then we wound up with dollar diplomacy, 
So we, we generally didn't have to blow up countries until it was a- absolutely necessary. Most of them would just take the money and submit. Yeah. Do you know the reason why uh, JFK was assassinated? Uh, we can debate that. Supposedly, there's so many rumors, but he made a lot of enemies, you know, particularly people you don't want being your enemies. Apparently. Like guys in the rackets, as well as in the intelligence agencies. Yeah. And, um, you know, when you put all them together, you know, he was kind of doomed. Well, what was um, he trying to do exactly? Do you know? Well, he wanted to bring the troops back from Vietnam. We know that for a fact. He was God forbid. That. So we can't have that. He wanted to help limit the oil depletion allowance. That sounds like a hit. big one. Yeah, that would have hit uh, the Texas oil people right in the pocketbook, and they didn't like it. RFK was chasing after Jimmy Hoffa and the mob after the mob helped get JFK elected. So that didn't help him. And there's a confluence of interests coming together to make sure that uh, that uh, he, you know, didn't make it to the end of his term. That's wild, man. That's it's so corrupt. It's so corrupt when when someone is trying to do something good or go against the grain with inside the government, they go missing. There's a, a Clinton hit list, if you will. Well, now they just use social media to destroy their reputations. And sure. Them so they don't have to kill it, but there's still plenty. You know, uh, I had Roger Stone on the show one time, and he was, you know, <laughs> shot in the Republican Party and Nixon and uh, Trump's real de facto campaign manager. And I asked him, Roger, when did it become? When did political assassination become fashionable in the United States? And you know. He basically gave me an answer that it's kind of always been there, but it's it's become a lot more pronounced now. That's very that's a very good question that you asked. Yeah, well, it, it happens, and uh, and not just rigging elections. Rigging elections is as American as apple pie. You know, LBJ's first uh, Senate election was clearly the result of fraud, and JFK's election was clearly the result of fraud. If you don't believe there's a deep state, who killed Kennedy, right? Who right. tried to kill Reagan? Uh, all these things. So, you know, but the good thing is you can think what you want and you don't have to live your life. You know, you have to do some things, comply with the machine, whatever, but you can live your own best life, improve yourself consistently over time and opt out of the system. I consider myself, you know, a trans political person. Uh, I no longer identify with the political system. It no nice. longer, I shake my head and I'm a kind of a fan. I like to watch it, but I'm no longer getting upset over it, angry. Once they got you emotionally involved, yeah. you're done, you're cooked. So it's just energy draining, man. And it's, oh yeah, people pick a team and then stick with it. Even if they don't like even agree with everything that their party's saying with, it's like, all right, I picked blue. Everything blue says I have to agree with. It's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous way of living. Well, look at it this way, like media, and that includes internet 
all they're trying to do, they've got your brain hacked, right? They're Completely. all hacking your brain. How do they do it? They get you upset, angry, agitated, and no longer using your rational part of your brain, using your reptilian part, and then they implant thoughts in there. And if you don't get upset, then, and you don't get emotional, there's nothing they can do short of, uh, you know, tapping into your brain. I don't know. Maybe there's ways. I mean, you know, look at all the UFO stuff that was happening. Was that real or is it a PSYOP? You know what a you PSYOP me. is? Yeah, uh, Project Blue Light or Blue Beam. Blue Beam, yeah. All right. <laughs> hey, you know your stuff. I know I'm it. man. That's cool. So is yeah. it Project Blue Beam or is it weather balloons or are we all just fucking crazy, right? Yeah. It, it's <laughs> all happening. Well, how do you feel about the... Um all of the toxic waste and stuff like that derailments and stuff. Is that, is that like a, a mirage? Like look this way while something else is happening or is that just because a bunch of trains derail so many times you know, a year? You, yeah. There's 1700 derailments a year. That doesn't mean that it didn't happen, but look, it's a theory right now. You yeah. don't have evidence to that effect. So one of the things that I like to bring to uh, the table here is my legal background. So you don't have to prove it in court beyond a reasonable doubt. You can prove it in your own mind by the preponderance of the evidence. To me, you know, there's just not enough evidence. And I think that the, uh, the agencies out there uh, help, help uh, promote these, these theories, for lack of a better term, or yeah. I would say alternative explanations no matter how absurd, to to uh, discredit critics. This happens mm. all the time, right? Yes. Yes. I so. just find it fascinating how there wasn't a lot of light shed on this and people were comparing it to Chernobyl. So you'd imagine that there would be at least some kind of coverage or that, you know, the president of the United States would go visit, you know, the families out there or what yeah. have you. So it's being suppressed. But does that okay. automatic or not adequately covered because it makes the administration look bad? But does Completely. that automatically prove that there's something nefarious that caused it? No. Right. That's the point. So you need to look at the facts. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, man, you know, I can't even decide. I kind of go back and forth with different things. Um, but, you know, like the time uh, when it's easy uh is like when somebody commits suicide with two bullets to the head okay people who kill themselves with a gun generally do not get two shots off and had to be both. sure right so two to the head is a certain you know certainty that something nefarious is up but a plane a train derailed it could very well be the case that something else is afoot i'm not saying there isn't all I'm saying is, show me the evidence, okay? Sometimes you can't get the full evidence, but you can get inferences. But I'm not seeing the inferences just as a distraction. Hey, why are all those egg factories going up in smoke? Why were all these food warehouses burning to the ground? Um, you know, they, you never heard about a, uh, a meatpacking plant burn up or a chicken processing plant. I never heard of this 
my entire life and I got a few years on you, Jack. So why is that happening? That's something that the preponderance of the incidents and the uh, the total destruction, somebody's burning them down in all likelihood. We can't say for sure, but it appears likely that somebody's burning them down. Who's doing it? I can't tell you why they're doing it. I don't know. But, you know, the price of eggs has definitely gone up. Yeah, there's also that instance, if you're if you're looking for like a silver Toyota Camry, mm-hmm. you'll start yeah. noticing them more, right? So like when, when this train incident happened, now everyone has it under the microscope and they're noticing a lot more of train derailments, right? Hey. But the fact of the matter is it's been happening for so long. Our infrastructure is shit. Our train tracks are horrible. They're not mm. good. Yeah, well, in Florida, they're building a new passenger rail train from Miami to Orlando called the Bright Line. And the problem is... Wait, could you say that again? From where to where? From Miami, downtown Miami to Orlando. Disney. Oh, okay, okay. Called the Bright Line. And 180 miles, it'll get you there in like three hours from Miami. Maybe it's 200 miles. Uh, But there's a problem. We don't have grade crossings. Our grade crossings here are at street level, which means the gates come down. And so far, since 2017, 88 people have been killed, either suicide, drunks, cars getting stuck on the tracks, you name it. And, you know, the thing goes through populated areas at 70, 80 miles an hour. It's nuts. But nobody seems to notice this but me. Uh you know, am I being a conspiracy theorist? No, I think the profit motive here uh, comes above the um, the human element. Yeah. And uh, there's a little Darwinism at work. People figure, hey, you can't make it across. You try to race a train going 70 miles across the tracks. Maybe humanity doesn't need your genes anymore. Yeah. Joe Rogan always says, I mean, you can buy a hammer and like build a house or you can hit yourself in the dick with it. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so we see this kind of thing. Um, but I don't think there's a conspiracy out to kill people. Just that profit has uh, gone beyond common sense here. We need a train definitely, but Florida's got tons of money. We've got a $20 billion surplus, at least on the busy intersections. Let them build bridges there, or tunnels, whatever. Let Elon Musk fix it. Okay, <laughs> Elon, you can figure it out. Yeah, you you brought up a interesting point. They're not trying to kill people. Now I have to tickle your mind on this one. Mm-hmm. So there's there there's these videos that have been roaming around. I think it was from the World Economic Forum, where some people are saying that. The world is overpopulated. Yeah. And Elon Musk says the complete opposite and says that there's not enough people on this earth and we need to mm-hmm. like procreate. Yeah. So well, that's not quite what he said. Okay. okay. All right. Demographic. You know, you know what trends. I'm talking about? Yeah, I know exactly. Okay. okay. Demographic trends. All right. Right now show reduced birth rate. All right. And what he says is that society, Western civilization and the whole world can't continue on with negative birth rates because uh, 
that will cause a societal collapse. We're seeing it already, you know, in Western Europe, the successive generations, the move to urbanization, all this stuff is leading to not enough workers. That's why the illegal immigration is allowed to continue because the birth rates, even in the U.S., are still too low to sustain successive generations and uh, government programs like Social Security that I paid into my whole life. So if they got to import 10 million people so I can get my Social Security, I don't have a problem with it. But I'd prefer it be done in a legal manner, orderly, not just let any uh, gangbanger cross the border. Agreed. So, but, you know, the, it's not so much, it's the declining birth rate. In China, there's 100 million less people there than their last census said. Whoa. And all the uh, people who helped uh, build all this prosperity are now getting close to retirement mm -hmm. and they don't have replacement workers for them. So obviously the cure is uh, technology, but still I don't think it quite totally cures the entire problem. Oh. You're a wealth of knowledge, man. Is it I'm from the books you read man. or the, pe the people you talk to? Or like, how do you have all this information stored? Well, I've always been a geek for uh, information, the keeper of useless knowledge, as they used to call me. And um, really no knowledge you ever acquire is useless. But, um, you know, just reading constantly, yeah. uh, even watching uh, YouTube videos, I will confess I'm a bit of an addict there. But selective. You're making TikToks too, huh? Nah, no TikToks. I, I don't want the Chinese <laughs> tapping. <laughs> I don't have it. Waves. So, <laughs> let, uh, me, uh, let me pick your brain on this one, and you won't hurt my feelings, all right? What? What do you think about the uh, the COVID vaccine? The magic word there. Is this going on YouTube? No. Okay. So as long as we're not on YouTube, I mean, <laughs> I have misgivings about it. Let's just put it that way. I am concerned about all these people dying suddenly, but of course it has nothing to do with the vaccine. You know, 18-year-olds die on football fields every day of the week. Oh, no, I take it back. They didn't used to until a certain event happened. Uh, gee, how could that, why would that be happening? Right. I can't figure it out. Um, you know, uh, this is a case where the cure could be worse than the disease, literally. Yeah, I agree. And I why agree. should people who have virtually no risk of dying from the disease, why should they be forced to get vaccinated against it? People like your age, I don't know how old you are, at 34. But, all right. So why would you be taking it? You have virtually no chance of dying whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, it's infinitesimal. I mean, people up to 50, there's no reason unless you're autoimmune compromised, comorbidities and all that. Right. So the, the reason people but, were taking it, though, is because they were almost bullied. Like they used yeah. fear. They used fear so mm -hmm. well in this manner. And that made me so skeptical. Hey. What did I tell you? Once your brain is in a state of fear, yeah. rational thought ceases and they implant those ideas and you think they're your own. Okay. Do you think that there was like a plan behind that or did they actually think the vaccine worked? 
but they just didn't have enough testing because they rushed this out and there's no way they had long-term testing done. There's just no way. And that's one of the main reasons I didn't take it. It's because you don't know what this is going to look like in five years. You can tell me something, but I don't fucking believe you. Well, so in the 1950s, there was an outbreak of the Hong Kong flu. The U.S. brewed up a uh, vaccine and it never hit the U.S. as a result of it. So there is historical precedence for this. I think it was in 57 or 58. And, uh, you know, it was a mass effort. But they knew from the get-go that this thing, look at the uh, recently uh, released Project Veritas uh, yes. video of the Pfizer guy yeah. saying they're basically uh, making, uh, you know, variations, right? I mean, yeah. uh, gain of function, maybe? And yeah, maybe I, mean, I don't want to speculate about this. I mean, we need a major investigation into it, which will never happen. No one will ever go to jail, especially not Dr. Fraudshi, um, <laughs> even if they deserve to, you know, let's just say that maybe it was a trial run for something else or maybe interesting. Maybe it was just a predecessor to the Great Reset. Or maybe it was just their idea, the elite's idea of having some fun. Whoa! You know, they don't really care about you. They don't no, care about they don't. life. They don't care oh, about anyone's life. They don't care about what's good for the country, what's good for humanity as a whole. All they care about is uh, getting their kicks. And it was a huge financial incentive as well let's not let's not get that mixed up oh well hospitals yeah right hospitals got billions a certain couple of uh, pharmaceutical companies got tens of billions right and they're still getting it because you got to have a booster you got to be boosted right so so with all with all the data out now why do you think people would be enticed to to get another booster and another one uh Uh, because they've Look, and I'm not saying any of this is true, but I just said there, I'm just saying like, hey, I try to look at the evidence, look at the facts, and then try to either come up with with the truth or an inference towards the truth, okay? Um, and I'm just saying that it needs to be looked at much closer. Uh, but as far as, uh, you know, uh, I'm not sure, but I guess if you've taken three shots already, you figure, well, hey, I'm doing okay now. A fourth one, uh, it's got to be even better. You know, it's like the kid with the aspirin, remember? You know, yeah, you're right. I have a headache, mommy. Okay, take two St. Joseph's aspirins. Oh, that feels yeah. better. My, it still hurts. Can I have more? If, if two worked good, then five should really work good, right? Oh, man. You know, people are uncritical, like obviously you're not, but what we have today more than a shortage in the worker population is a shortage of critical thinkers, people who actually will get up off their ass, look at an issue and wonder, gee, why are they telling me this? Follow the money, right? Always follow Mm, the money. Always follow the money. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it's not always the money. But you got to follow something, and it's easier to follow the money many times than anything else. 
once things get political, that's when I have a real issue with it. Like when, when COVID first started, like everyone was almost united and, and kind of scared at what was happening, but give it a week. Then all of a sudden it started getting politicized and that's when you lose. Cause then it's red team versus blue team. Yeah. It's what they call the Hegelian dialect. And that's what they want. They want you fighting. They want the country divided. They want the population divided because mm-hmm. then they can do whatever they want. Imagine if we were really united, they would have a lot of problems. You think we'd be sending 200 billion in arms to Ukraine uh, right. We'd have 800 military bases across the globe and all the other bad things we've been doing. They wouldn't be able to do it to keep us divided and keep the information spigot, you know, drip, 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 not a full open faucet. That's how they control things. How does it get to that point, though? Like who is because of the sociopaths, right? Like you, yeah, you, well, you are in no way, shape or form. Like you are not thinking correctly. You are self-indulged or. Right. Let me ask you a question. You're a sociopath. Would you rather be a janitor? And the only power you have is to push the broom down the hall. Right. And uh, scoop up the garbage or maybe, you know, not clean well, or you get to be a politician, maybe even a president where you can really wield your power, which one would you rather be? I'd be the president. Right. So, you know, political power attracts attracts uh, sociopaths like milk to does to kittens. You know? How hasn't it been, like, will it ever be overthrown or changed or just like an overhaul? I, I, there's know. so much information out there right now and people are starting to wake up, I think. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. No, yeah. like maybe to the whole uh, uh, health issue matter, they're waking up and maybe that'll wake them up more. Yeah. Uh, there's a saying, the king is dead, long live the king, right? You know what that means? You get that? <laughs> yeah, I haven't heard that before though. Well, it's a, it's an old saying like, for revolution, we overthrew the evil tyrant. That's the wild. Dead, long live the king, because we got a new king right back at it. Who's no better? And yeah. look at uh, like Castro. Oh, we got rid of that evil Batista man. He was so evil, and then we get like humanitarian crisis, and that's a conspiracy theory that I urge you, Jay, to take a look at. How did Castro overthrow? Batista and purportedly the American-backed government and uh, who is really behind him. And who's behind all these wars? War is a racket. Smedley Butler said it best. No one could say it any better. War is a racket. Is there any books that you would recommend on that? Or like a documentary Uh, or just do some Google searching? The book I mentioned before, Gangsters of Capitalism by... Schwartz, I can't remember. I'll look it up, but uh, there's a bunch of golden nuggets in that book, huh? Yeah, that book is an absolute must. Okay, um, it, it's just like I'm telling you, like I'm pretty cynical, and I know Jonathan M. Katz is close enough to Schwartz. It's called uh, Gangsters of Capitalism, Smedley Butler, the Marines, and the Making and Breaking of America's Empire. Wow, and it is powerful, man. I'm going to read like, it. You can't even believe it. He was like, 
You know, he was a good soldier his whole life. And uh, then he came to realize all the evil he had done. Now, this guy is really doing this from a leftist perspective, but that doesn't make the historical reporting any less true. So Boxer Rebellion in China, the guy was there. Um, Yeah. You know, all these things. So highly recommended. But there's also a brief book by Smedley Butler called War is a Racket. It's like 30 pages. I think you can download it for free all over the internet. And um, yeah, I mean, it's like if you, I think there was an ideal for American exceptionalism, but uh, it turned into this imperialistic nightmare that we're still suffering the aftermath of 100 plus years later. Just the residue and just, yeah. Yeah. The Spanish-American War, 1898. Uh, that was brought on by yellow journalism by William Randolph Hearst yeah. and Pulitzer, Joseph Pulitzer. And his guilt is why he did the Pulitzer Prize, but, you know, we learned nothing from it. So in any event, I, I could go on and on about it. And I'm not anti-American. I'm just like, look, is the world better off for the American experiment? No question. But it went off the rails a long time before we realized it went off the rails. And that's what this guy really points out. You know, why is it we've always been at war? You know, 20 It's a very good years, question. And I don't think people ask that question enough to themselves. 22 years out of 200, you know, 40 something years, right? That's a uh-huh. lot of wars in between there. A lot of yeah. wars, man. Yeah. Endless wars. So it's the welfare warf- warfare state. So that's about all I got for you, man. You got like everything out of me here, Jay. <laughs> Carrie Lutz, I appreciate you, man. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for stopping by. Again, you, you're just a wealth of knowledge, man. This was very eye-opening and insightful. Um, uh, give you a second to go ahead and uh, relay your social media. Do you sure. have any books? Yeah, whole nine yards. Okay, well, I haven't written a book in a few years. But uh, the website's financialsurvivalnetwork.com. And my Twitter is at Kerry Lutz. And, you know, just go to the site. You can hear from these experts. I've got two on there right now that you absolutely have to hear. And I neglected to mention one of them. One is Martin Armstrong. He was a political prisoner, although it's controversial, advisor to many governments around the world. And, uh, He talks about, he's got a new book, The uh, Rise of the Neocons. That's a good book to read. And then uh, uh, Michael Markowitz, who predicted the 07 uh, crash, 08, you know, all these these crashes in between. He's predicting uh, by Q3, uh, perhaps a 49% uh, decline in the stock market, leading to another Great Depression. So financialsurvivalnetwork.com. Jay, I can't thank you enough. Been a total pleasure. Ask me on any time. <laughs> All right, Carrie. Appreciate you. Thank you. Everyone listening at home, hope you enjoyed the podcast. Have a nice night.